1: fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Women and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and your 4-1 and one Chicago Bears. That's right, your 4-1 Chicago Bears. After beating Tampa Bay, and they got Carolina coming up, and we've got plenty to talk about those 4-1 and one Chicago Bears. I hope my sound sounds okay today, because I had to go into another room, because they are repaving the road out in front of my house. It's obnoxiously loud. I can't do it in the nice padded kind of room. Yes, that's right. I need a padded room, but you know, the, it's better, muddle, you know, it muffles the sound better so it doesn't echo as much. So hopefully this isn't too bad, but let's get jumping on this podcast. We got Robert Schmitz, Windy City Gridiron's own Robert Schmitz coming up here in just about 10 minutes. Talk a little bit about Tampa, talk about Carolina, talk about what he's seen with this team, and I'll tell you what, this is an interesting crossroads right now for this team, because nobody, nobody is giving the Chicago Bears any credit for their 4-1 and one start, nobody. I mean, you, you, obviously you see some local people in Chicago that are excited, the national media still thinks this is a completely fluke team, and I got it, After the quarter point of the season where you're sitting there going, all right, they beat the Giants, who cares? They beat Atlanta, who cares? They beat Detroit, who cares? They got, you know, Indy handled them pretty well. I get where they're coming from. They hadn't had that opportunity to really prove themselves. Enter the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a nationally televised game on Thursday Night Football. And sure, was it ugly? Sure. But who came out on top? The Chicago Bears. That was a Quality win for this team. That was a, a win you build upon, and puts them in a position where if they can beat the Carolina Panthers this weekend and jump to five and one, they are going to be in a prime prime spot for a playoff spot. You got seven teams, not six, seven teams that make it this year. The NFC East has to put a team out there, so I guess it's actually six legitimate playoff teams get in this year. But that extra wild card spot's going to give the Bears some breathing room because when you look at it and sit there and say well Seattle is is going to win that division most likely you've still got a couple quality teams in the NFC West you've got the Packers obviously that the Bears are dealing with there and you've got whatever happens with the NFC South with the Saints and the Buccaneers so there's there's you know there's enough teams in competition here the Bears are going to be in competition with the Cardinals and the Niners for the seventh seed, unless they really put the accelerator down and get themselves in in a position where they can compete with the Packers for the division. The Packers absolutely look better than the Bears right now, but the Packers haven't beaten a lot of quality teams either. That schedule is is a little soft as well. Now the Packers are doing more with the soft schedule than the Bears have. A win is a win, I get that, but the wins are definitely more uh, more impressive north of the border there in Wisconsin. So hopefully the Bears with Nick Foles now and, and this offense going in a specific direction, the offense gets on track a little bit more because the defense has been good. And I'll tell you what, I, I've said this a couple times on this podcast about the defense. And I said, what what have I been saying? The, the defense is very good. The swagger seems to be missing. The swagger is the issue with the Bears. That's what made that team elite. That's what made that team special in 2018, was the swagger, the turnovers, the big plays. And I'll tell you, and I said, where is the swagger? Where is the swagger? I figured out where the swagger is. The swagger is Khalil Mack. When Khalil Mack is on, that swagger is going across all 11 guys. And you saw that against Tampa when Mack was a one-man wrecking crew. That's the kind of damage he can do to an entire side of the ball, and it's not that Khalil Mack has been awful for a year and a half or, or, or whatever it's been. It's just that he hasn't been that complete wrecking force. They've—I don't want to say they've neutralized him, but the sacks are down, and and sure, they're holding him constantly, and he is a someone you game plan around. But the game plans have been successful to a point where he has been somewhat neutralized. And again. I'm not saying he's not worth the money. I'm not saying he's ineffective. I'm saying somewhat neutralized. When you have five and a half sacks or whatever it is over a 16-game stretch, whatever it was that people were talking about, yeah, that's neutralizing Khalil Mack, who should be somewhere between 10 and 20. Yeah, I'll go all the way up to 20 sacks in a 16-game stretch. So that's where the Chicago Bears need, that's what Chuck Pagano and the Chicago Bears need to do on defense, is making sure that Khalil Mack can do his thing. Setting up defensive plans so you can't just give Talil, Khalil Mack a chip and a double team. These type of things where I don't care how superhuman he is, he cannot destroy offenses like he can do. You've got to give him a little help there. That's that's going to come from Quinn. That's going to come from Hicks. And those guys really have to dominate up front so they can't just focus on Khalil Mack. But that swagger was back. That defense looked really good. And on the offense, look. You can't sit there and say the offense has been good. And, and I'm going to ask Robert about this, too, because I'm just I'm not sure where I am mentally with this offense. So what I mean is I feel like I'm kind of in the 2018 Bears offense version again, where I was with Mitch Trubisky. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into things or if there's legitimate hope. And here's what I mean. 2018 Bears. Forget the 12-4 and record. Focusing on the offense was Mitch Trubisky's first year with Matt Nagy. We were just looking for, for growth, right? We didn't, we didn't see anything with John Fox. He, he never got to throw the ball. We didn't even know what Mitch Trubisky was. All he did was hand the ball off to Jordan Howard for 12 games. So you enter this first year with Matt Nagy and you say, I, I, I wanna see growth. I wanna see him in an actual NFL offense. I want to see him make some plays, make some throws, so he can become and develop into this quarterback, because we all heard that Mitch was going to need more time and all that. So, so, okay, fine. So I watched the 2018 offense, and every time Trubisky did something, you know, I'd sit there and you know start tapping the, ah, there it is. There it is. That's Mitch. That's the guy. That's the guy who's going to become this this great quarterback. And, And you had hope, and you'd watch it, and you'd see it. But the rest of the national media and a lot of the pundits, a few of them backed Trubisky, but a lot of them didn't, as, as we know. And we sat there as Bears fans, and we dogged pro football focus, and we dogged Bill Barnwell, and we, all, all these, you know, Ryan Clark, all these guys that were routinely criticizing Mitch Trubisky, we're like, don't they see this? Don't they see that? What, what are they talking about? So we were at odds as Bears fans with the national media that entire year because of their disdain for Mitch Trubisky. Now 2019 rolls around and the first couple games of 2020, and it turns out that that those analysts, those national analysts, those national pundits were correct about Mitch Trubisky, and it was because we were so focused on the good, we weren't paying attention to the bad, and that's where you have to. That's where you end up not being objective as a fan when you sit there everything positive. You focus on those positives. I'm not saying you can't focus on the positives. But you also have to look at the negatives and see where the player the team is as a whole and i think a lot of us myself included fell into that trap in 2018 of you know all right so trubisky makes this great run he makes this great pass you know this this that and the other and you sit there and you focus on that but you ignore the bad passes you ignore the poor decisions you ignore the turnovers when they happen because you sit there and say oh, I don't worry about that. He'll he'll figure it out. He'll iron those out. Those won't happen in a couple of years. But that's not how it necessarily works. Some guys, Josh Allen, they make that leap. So for us as Trubisky fans, we sat there through 2018 with hope. And then in 2019, we said, all right, this is where he makes the leap. And as we know, the leap didn't happen. In fact, it was regression, Nick Foles, and, and bada bing, bada boom. So here I am with Nick Foles, watching this Tampa Bay Bucs performance. Forget the Colts performance, that was a bad performance. For whatever reason, bad game plan from Nagy, great defense from the Colts, offensive line out match, plenty of reasons. Forget the Colts game right now. Looking at this Bucs game, there for me, and this is why I think maybe I'm falling into that 2018 trap, I saw things in the offense. And the play that Foles made, getting the ball to David Montgomery that basically won the game, that's awesome. And that's not something Trubisky can do, and I'm I'm not going to sit there and bag Trubisky, but that's something Foles can do and something Trubisky can't. The way he read the defense, changed things at the line of scrimmage, that's, that's what Nick Foles brings to the table. But beyond that, the way the offense moved, the way the offense wasn't doing a ton of three and outs, even if they weren't successful on the drives... They'd get one or two first downs before they punted, which wins you the field position battle eventually. These, these type of things, some, some of the offensive, you know, the, 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 the style of the plays, the designs, what, what they were trying to do, I, I felt more confidence in this offense than I have in a really long time, even though the results weren't there. So am I reading too much into it? Am I 2018-ing it all over again and focusing on positives and not negatives? Because, look, there's negatives with Nick Foles. There are bad passes. I'm not I'm not sitting there going to deny that. But I'm hoping that maybe I saw something against that Bucks that this offense can grow and build upon and become an average. Again, just an average, maybe even below average NFL offense because that's what the Chicago Bears need this year. So I'm going to ask Robert about that here coming up here in a minute. And I'll start the interview with Nick Foles and the Chicago Bears offense, and if there is hope that this offense can be some semblance of what what Matt Nagy promised a few years ago when he was hired by Ryan Pace to run the Chicago Bears team and turn this offense into a modern-day offense, we still haven't seen it. So let's see it, Matt Nagy. Let's see what happens here coming up. So I got some more thoughts after the interview with Robert, but let's get to Robert Schmitz now. This is Bears Banter. Quick break, we'll be right back.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
1: All right. Welcome back into the podcast. And here he is, as promised. He is Windy City Gridiron's own Robert Schmitz. It's at Robert K. Schmitz with a Z on Twitter. And he joins us now. Robert, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing great. It is an awesome morning. I'm still
2: high off of a Bears-Buccaneers win that I never expected to happen. It it, it was always a possibility, but it happened nevertheless. Here we sit at, quote-unquote, the most fraudulent 4-1 team in the NFL, and I'll tell you what, I would way rather be here than be a Minnesota Vikings fan.
1: Absolutely, and I talked a little bit about how the media – has really dubbed this Chicago Bears team 4-1, and, and look, we've, we've had that fraud label plenty of times in the, in the past. Sometimes the Bears have proven the media wrong, and sometimes they haven't, but the one thing I thought was a little interesting, and as a Bears fan, a little annoying, is when you're trying to be objective, and you look at the, all right, they beat the Giants, all right, fine, no big deal. They beat, they beat the Lions, all right, fine, no big deal. They, you know, they beat these bad football teams the Falcons they scrape by with comebacks on a couple of these the Colts put them in their place so I was like I kind of get where the media is but when you beat the bucks and I don't care how it happens when you win a nationally televised primetime game against a quality team with Tom and Tom Brady I don't care if he screwed up the downs or not against the you know Hall of Fame potentially the greatest football player of all time can you give the team a little credit
2: I mean, that's what I think, right? It's funny you talk about the down screwing up thing because I don't remember anybody giving the Bears any slack for when Rex Grossman would fumble snaps. So if a player can't do a very simple thing, it's still on the player and it's still on the team, you know? What, what really is wild to me, so I've spent way too much time analyzing the film of this game because I've been using it to try to learn a lot more about how play callers duel between the offense and the defense. And I want to remind you something, Bill, because the more I look at this game, the more I realized all five of the Bears' initial drives stopped because the Bears did something, whether they scored a touchdown or screwed up a play. Tampa Bay couldn't stop this lowly Bears offense for the entire first half. And if you remember, it's because Foles missed Allen Robinson wide open on third and two. Yep. Foles threw a ball to Allen Robinson. Fine, not perfect ball that he then tipped into a defender's hands. That stopped the second drive. Third drive stopped because the Bears wasted it down when Foles missed a Darnell Mooney deep, wide open. And then the next two drives were touchdowns. If those three mistakes get cleaned up, the Bears score 13 more points in the half at least. And if that had happened, they would have had 27 points in the first half and nobody would have been laughing then. I'm not even trying to be some like crazy person here because if you watch the Colts game, you'll see a defense stymie the Bears offense ruthlessly. There was nothing there on that day and we just looked like the worst team. But against the Buccaneers, you could make a real argument that the Bears were the ones beating themselves until they kind of decided not to and put enough of a game together to win. That, in my book, is as quality a win as you can ask for.
1: A- absolutely. And, and, and people, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you, I can promise you Robert did not hear my opening thoughts, which basically mirror that. He said it a lot better than I did. But, but mimicked exactly <laughs> what I was thinking about this team. And this, this is going to be a little bit of a, a long-winded question, and th- this is where I, I'll lead you on the next one, and this is what I said I was going to ask you first is, so watching the offense, and we'll just talk offense now for a minute, the Buccaneers game, watching the Chicago Bears offense, I sat there and wondered to myself, am I having a 2018 Bears fandom issue? And let, let me explain this. So us as Bears fans watching the the first year of Matt Nagy and the 12 and four season, when we watch the offense and we all want Trubisky to succeed, we all focused on the positives. So we see Mitch make a great play with his legs. We see Mitch make a great throw. We see, you know, the offense churn and put up some points. We see the Buccaneers game. When these things happen, we're like, this is Trubisky. Okay, this is the guy who's going to iron things out and become this great quarterback that the Bears have never had. And then of course, 2019, it falls apart 2020, the first couple games, nothing's better. So I sit there and go in 2018, pro football focus and Bill Barnwell and Ryan Clark and, and all these analysts, Chris Collinsworth, dog and, Trubisky, dog and Trubisky, dog and Trubisky, dog and Trubisky. And we sit here and we, we, we hunkered down and we defended the guy. Mm. And we said, no, we're, we're seeing the positives. And I, you know, looking back on it, I said that we're focusing so much on the positives because we wanted to believe so much. We were ignoring the negatives. We're going, he's gonna figure that out. He's gonna iron that out. I'm not worried about that. So now I fast forward to this Bucks game. And I watch Nick Foles and I see the offense doing different things that I haven't seen the Trubisky offense is doing. And Nagy trying to roll out some things that were different in terms of play designs and Foles making decisions at the at the line of scrimmage and things that I know Nagy's wanted to do and hasn't done. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I know the offense isn't. Rocketing up 30, 40 points, but I'm seeing something. I'm not seeing three and outs as much. I have hope again. Am I convincing (laughs) myself again that there's something there that may not be? So I don't think you are but let me make sure that we're on the same
2: page. The bears have played the number one and the number two defense in back to back weeks. And in that number two defensive game, the game plan was awesome. Like I'll tell you right now, I love the fact that Matt Nagy basically entered the game. He said, we're gonna run the ball as little as possible. Almost every single run was followed by an immediate play action set out of pretty much the same formation. So it's clear to me that Matt Nagy was gonna run the ball just enough to keep play action alive. And outside of that, he wanted to throw it Buccaneers team and avoid their defensive line. All that to say that the coaching was in the right place, but like I talked about earlier, let me spin the negative on what we said the execution pretty bad if you come away with only 50 percent of your expected points I'll go ahead and tell you guys right now Bears fans that doesn't cut it against teams with that can put up more points than 19 and sure the Buccaneers are pretty good offense but the Panthers are probably a better one and they're at home and I won't be shocked if they're able to put up 21 24 points and the Bears offense needs to score against a softer defense than Tampa Bay so what I've come to is that I've said, I remember back in 2018, same as you, I loved what Trubisky could be because from 2017, it seemed like a huge step forward. And in 2019, he did not take a step forward. He took a step backwards, if anything, and everything got sad again. At least what we can say about this Bears 2020 offense is that Matt Nagy came out on Friday right after this big upset victory and was so angry at his team you would have thought we'd gotten blown out. And this is, in my opinion, a crucible moment for the Bears. Because execution, I'm sure you'd agree, Bill, it's kind of been hit and miss in Chicago's offense ever since Nagy jumped on board. And Nagy has paid all of the lip service that I could ask of a smart coach to fans like me. But the execution, I mean, I don't know if the Bears have run a screen that's like any good. Almost in his tenure, maybe the one I can think of is when they threw it to Anthony Miller on that Joe Buck great throw play in, against Dallas. Three Jets, twenty eighteen.
1: Does that count? The seventy. Oh, that
2: does count. Even though nobody was there, that was no one of the best screen calls they've had. Uh, but so, point being here that this is the moment where this naggy team needs to execute, and if they do, I'll tell you right now that Foles doesn't get fooled at near the rate Trubisky did. There are an amazing amount of times, even when Foles goes, okay, I don't know what's going on. Let me just ditch the ball and I'll figure it out on film. Because for instance, I don't know if you know this in starting the second half, if you want to know why that third quarter was so bad, it's cause full or uh, Todd Bowles, Nick Foles, Todd Bowles. You can understand where those names <laughs> slip up in my mouth, but so Uh, Todd Bowles trotted out a totally different defense than I've seen on the couple games of film that I watched from Tampa Bay. He basically ripped up his playbook and said, it's not working. We have to do a different coverage. And so they did. And it had left Matt Nagy scratching his head for a couple of series, which that happens. When you see something new on film, you need time to send it up to Bill Lazor and have the guy break it down and figure out how to beat it. Lo and behold, on that last drive, that throw to David Montgomery and the play before to Anthony Miller on third down, both of those were against that exact same coverage, and they figured out how to beat it. So kudos to the offensive staff. I look at all that, and I say to myself, Bill, if Nagy wants to prove to Bears fans that he's as good as some of us have attempted to suggest that he is, this is his year to do it. So I'm excited to see what happens from here, because it's like we've put the man on trial, and he gets to tell us himself with some results. And I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have to, you know, in adding on to that, the Matt Nagy post-game press conference and, and where he has been after that Buccaneers win, a lot different. You know, you know, look, we, we all, even if you're a Trubisky fan, and if you're even still a truther, you'll sit there and admit that Matt Nagy has kind of kid gloves in those press conferences and pumping a lot of positivity into, into Trubisky and the offense and, but we just got to do a little execution better here and this here, and it was close, and we liked what Mitch did here. That was not the Matt Nagy we saw after this game. Matt Nagy just came out and said, our execution stunk. We need to be better, and everyone in that offensive you know, room knows that. And that's the Matt Nagy that I like to see. Look, I, I love how much the players love Matt Nagy. They rally behind him. I think he's a great leader of men. And, and, and there was a little controversy last year, if you remember, against the the Washington formerly known as the Redskins football team when they were playing them, that, you know, he pulled Trubisky aside on the sidelines and the rip lip leaders, lip readers, there we go, said, you know, he dropped an F bomb and basically told Mitch to shut up and listen. And everyone's like, Oh, Matt Nagy shouldn't do that. That's not how you should handle your quarterback or whatever. There's nothing wrong with trying to light a little fire and, and, and and get behind these guys and, and tell them to just buck up and execute better and try and fire him up. And we haven't seen that Nagy a lot publicly. And I like that we're seeing that now because to me, that shows where Matt Nagy's head's at because I think with the Trubisky offense, and if you just if you want to sit there and blame Nagy for not being flexible enough, I won't. I know some people still will. The Trubisky-led offense, I think Matt Nagy was kind of saying, look, we can get a little better, but there's not much more we can do. With this Nick Foles-led offense, he said – we did what we did and it wasn't nearly good enough. And I think you see the difference in how Matt Nagy sees the ceilings of these offense of these two different offenses, because they are different offenses. Very different. You can, now that we've seen the, the Buccaneers with Nick Foles, the offense that he was running with Mitch Trubisky and the offense he's running with Nick Foles are almost completely different playbooks. It feels like.
2: Oh, they are. And it doesn't help anything that the defenses are totally different. So let's remember the Bears offensive line looked like a top seven unit after Detroit. Come to find out after about five weeks, Bill, that Detroit front line, one of the worst in football. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it's how it goes right in the early season. You don't know what you don't know. So I remember saying it at the time. This is an incredible offensive line performance. We have no idea how good Detroit is. So let's wait a second before we crown them. But this is very good to see. Coming up against this Colts front line, like going back to last week, the Bears offensive game plan was pretty clear that they wanted to get their offensive line into a fist fight with the Colts and somehow expected Cody Whitehair to beat DeForest Buckner and so on and so forth. It didn't work. And against Tampa Bay, they did exactly the opposite. They said, we're going to throw it literally every down that we can. We're going to run it only when we have to, because it's going to be a waste of a down. So why would we try? And I love that because to me, that's very salient thinking. That's good work from the coaching perspective. And I love to see that what I kept keep finding myself asking myself, Bill, and you can try to answer this question too. How many points do you think the run first play action approach would have actually scored against a Tampa Bay front seven that might be the best in the league? Cause I think it would have maybe scored six
1: points. I mean, yeah, it, it look, I maybe more than that, but it, it wouldn't have been a lot because Look, there's one thing I don't think a lot of fans realize, and, and I'll just, when I say this, get off the bears for a second. Vita Veya is arguably a top five, you know, in the middle defensive tackle in the NFL. He's that good. He's that much of a disruptor. I know he was a first round pick. He didn't do much his first year and was a little off. the. Radar. He was good last year. He was a little off the radar. I really think he was about, especially with all the, press that the Bucs are going to get all year because of Brady I really think he was going to come into his own as an elite player and he was showing that against the Bears and oh, it was so it's, good dis, as an NFL fan it's disappointing to see him with that injury and, and, mm-hmm. and, and what, what that's going to do but like you said and, and kind of talking about the offensive game plan and play actions and trying to run the football the Bears don't have the personnel up front to handle Buckner's and Veas and guys like that nope. and with James Daniels out for the year That's going to be even more of an issue moving forward. So I agree with you. That offense wouldn't have worked. It may have been more than six. It may have been less than six. We don't know. But here's what we do know. Matt Nagy knew, and that's why the game Mm -hmm. plan was what it was.
2: And, and I'll give some credit to the three yards in a cloud of dust game plan. The whole concept of that game plan is my offensive line is better than your front seven, and we are going to get yards, and I don't really care what coverage you call. You want to run cover two, cover four, cover one, cover six? Doesn't matter to me because I'm still running the ball at the end of the day. And the Matt Nagy game plan, the more West Coast, like think about it this way. He had Nick Foles, who regardless of what you think of him, he's certainly not a top 16 quarterback. I think we can all agree with that. Throw 42 times at a game against the second best defense in the NFL without 30 rushing yards. Okay, I've just told you that, and I haven't told you the score. Did we win? Probably not, right? Like, that's that's a recipe for disaster. And instead, the Bears left 17-ish points on the board. At that point, I've included Rob, Bobby Massey blowing that block on what could have been the Cordero Patterson end zone touch down in the fourth quarter, and we still scored 20 points, which is weirdly enough, actually more than usual going back to the 2019 offense. I mean, it's, I, I want to make sure we're judging as subjective or objectively as we can. If we compare this thing to the 2019 offense, we're still better than that. And even though the bears were able to produce some yardage against Detroit and New York, those teams have come out to be some of the worst defenses in football. And at times the giants are, I can't tell what's going on there, but anyways, either way, the, when Matt Nagy made this switch against the Falcons, I think he saw this coming. You have to be able to throw in the NFL. And I can't believe that we were able to do what we did against the Buccaneers. It has me really positive about them going into this Panthers game. I'll tell you, Right now, Bill, every time I get positive about the Bears, something bad happens. <laughs> so, so I'm already readying myself for unexpected disappointment. But gosh, I would love to see this offense work. One question I keep asking myself, and I know you love Bears history, so I'm going to throw it at you and just see how you deal with it. I doubt you expected me to say this on the podcast. Right, look, what you got here? I keep asking myself, how far off is Nick Foles really from being the most talented quarterback the Bears have ever had when you add up the cerebrality, his decent accuracy, and his stone feet? Because the Bears quarterbacks aren't exactly an illustrious bunch. And especially in the modern era, if the closest we got is Jay Cutler, who was roughly average, how far off is Nick Foles from that mark? And I don't know the answer. I'm excited to find out. But that play that he teardropped into Montgomery with a call at the line is exactly what Bears have wanted to see for from their quarterback for, I mean, the last decade. I wanted to see that in Jay's tenure, and I felt like I didn't even see it. So it's exciting to see we beat Brady in a real football game, and he only made like one mistake. I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and uh, so I'll I'll, I'll answer that. Ask the next. Yeah, there's question. a lot of
2: unpacking there. The the
1: the way I look at Nick Foles and, and the history of the Bears quarterbacks is is let's put Sid Luckman aside because he's a Hall of Famer, and he's one of the top twenty quarterbacks of all time. But let's you know, and this is the problem with comparing eras. If you just picked up Sid Luckman in 1944 and dropped him into 2020 and said you know play, like he'd be the worst quarterback in the NFL. It wouldn't be close. Like he couldn't, he couldn't be a third string quarterback in the day's NFL. That's just the way the game has evolved. But you know, what Sid Sid Luckman did was remarkable. Like if you, Sid Luckman had seasons where his passing numbers were so much better than the guys. Sammy Baugh was kind of his, his rival. It was kind of like Manning and Brady. If you take Sammy Baugh aside and, and just put them, those two guys together, the next best quarterback I, I did some numbers on Luckman a, a Isn't few is like
2: years 70% ago. of the yardage total? It's insane. Yeah, like.
1: Like, like Luckman, when he won his MVP compared to the third place guy, if you projected those numbers above like the 2018, 2017, whenever I did it, the third best quarterback versus the best quarterback and just kind of did the math projections – it would be a quarterback that threw for like 7,000 or 8,000 yards <laughs> and had like 100 touchdowns. I don't remember what the numbers were, but they were – it might even have been bigger than that. They were I love that. <laughs> That's how much better Luckman was than everyone else. So you can't compare him to, to this. So if we just kind of eliminate all Luckman and then all the crap that the Bears had and just go up to 1980 so we can get to the Jim McMahon era, you only have three quarterbacks really that you can put – with with nick Foles. well actually two and i'm talking about mcmahon and i'm talking about cutler mm-hmm. when you you break those guys down obviously Foles doesn't have cutler's arm talent
2: obviously and
1: and but Foles is a guy who can rally around. look devin hester cutler not a leader i had Olin on the podcast i asked about it he's like nah, no jay wasn't a leader so like jay didn't have that vibe in the locker room that Foles has. You saw Khalil Mack after the game. He was through a big neck, did his thing. Khalil Mack was thrilled. He unbelievably excited. He (laughs) actually thought, I think for the first time since he's been here, that he might have an offense on the other side of the ball. So I get where you're going with Foles. If I'm looking for the total package, I'll still take Jim McMahon. And this is an 85. That's fine. McMahon was a really smart quarterback. The entire team loved McMahon. McMahon could make plays with his feet. McMahon did have a good arm. McMahon's problem is he couldn't stay healthy. If McMahon played 15, 16 games a year, his perception in – I'm not saying he'd be an all-time great quarterback, but his perception of where he would be, he'd at least be in, like, the Phil Sims category of quarterbacks. He'd be considered a very good quarterback. But his problem was he couldn't stay healthy. So, Bill, that long rambling –
2: The fact that you just said, I'll still take McMahon, means that you addressed this question as, I mean, Foles probably comes up number two, number three, and that's the point. Nick Foles was talked about before the season as, he's a backup quarterback. He's just, you know, he's a really good backup quarterback, but come on. Like, is this guy really a starter? Honestly, yes. He's a lower-tier starter, undoubtedly. Maximum 18th best quarterback in the NFL, depending on how he plays. But you know what? I I would definitely suggest that he's a lower-tier starter if you eliminate all the potential that we use to give a lot of these young guys who aren't playing very well, like Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins. Well, not anymore, but what we did give to Dwayne Haskins and Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, though he's putting together a solid couple games. You get the idea. I could name a bunch of young people names, but – there's this layer of potential we use to talk about quarterbacks. And if you strip that off, Nick Foles is better than plenty of them. And it's kind of like watching Case Keenum on the Vikings, but you know what? They went to an NFC championship game. And if there's Bears team went to an NFC championship game, I don't really care how they get there. That'd be a whole lot of fun. I, I want to win a playoff game so badly.
1: It'd be a lot of fun. But then Nick Foles is a free agent. We got a whole problem on our Oh problem. Because again, if, if Nick Foles, if the Bears reach the NFC championship game and Nick Foles is the quarterback, that's the out clause in the mm-hmm. contract where he can declare for free agency. But To to talk about what you're talking about with this offense and where they are and where you're curious about where they can go, talking about this Carolina game, I think this is going to be an interesting one for Nagy and for the offense. And and here's what I'll say. You can run on Carolina. Their run defense is not very good. Another thing that's interesting is they can't get to the quarterback. So you can have time to throw. But what else is interesting is the Panthers' defense is still pretty efficient. They still keep the points down pretty well. They still have a pretty good pass defense overall. So I think where you're setting up Matt Nagy, where his offensive line and Alex Bars, which will be interesting to see him in a full game because he was awful and then much better. And if you want to talk about Alex Bars, well, you're talking about the line and up front you can. But um, Carolina presents a situation where the offensive line should be able to open some holes for Montgomery. They should be able to give Nick Foles some time, but it's not going to be a cakewalk. This isn't a bottom Mm -hmm. offense where you should expect 34 points to get on the board.
2: No, I mean, one of the more complicated things, so two, three weeks ago, I couldn't wait for this game because this looked like an absolutely terrible defense. But here coming into weeks uh, week six as we know it, this Panthers defense is running a college-style defense. It's, it's like a big dime. It comes out of the Big 12, believe it or not, and it basically means that they have three safeties, and two corners sitting back, and then they rush three guys. So, Bill, it's not going to shock you that with three down linemen and a couple of linebackers and a whole bunch of defensive backs, it's tough to defend the run in the NFL. Like, those are grown men that you're trying to (laughs) stop, and eventually they're going to pave their way. So this would be a great day for the Bears offense. What I'm worried about, if I was going to, just talk about a worry of mine is that this Panthers defense is figuring out how to work the coverage set and that they might be better than they look. I've talked to before about how, and you could probably pick up based on what I've said so far, about how this Bears defense or Bears offense is really easy to underrate because they've gone through so much schematic shift and chemistry issues and integrating a new quarterback into basically a new style of play calling that I can't really tell where the ceiling is. And I don't blame Vegas for taking a look at them and saying they're still the 24th best offense and that's just how it is. Maybe, but they showed a lot more fight in them against Tampa Bay than that, and so we'll have to see what they really are. Panthers defense, same story, basically. They've been improving and installing stuff since a short COVID offseason, let Matt Rule come in with almost no time to coach this team, and it can't shock us that they stumbled out of the gate. So who are they? Well, I hope that they're not ready yet. Like, obviously, as a Bears fan, I hope that this is a game where we can see some points on the board. I would love to see the Bears come in, score 24, 30 points. That'd be awesome. But we'll have to see. To me, it all depends on whether Matt Nagy and that offensive staff can solve this brand new defense because this isn't just cover four. This isn't just like let, we're going up against a cover two defense like the Colts and we just have to beat them. This is a whole different defensive package. And the Panthers have some players, not a ton. And if guys, guys like Brian Burns can't play that is a huge boost to the bears because they already struggle to rush the passer. And I think if you give Nick Foles all the time in the day, he's going to be able to make some plays. Another good one to watch is going to be this duel between the bears defense and the Panthers offense. Cause they love to run a bunch of like yak attack style, like throw it short, run it long, think very saints esque. And if I saw anything from uh, the Tampa Bay game on what Chuck Pagano will do, he's going to stuff Eddie Jackson into the box on a couple of disguised roll-ins where he's trying trying to force Teddy to either look away or throw directly to Eddie. And this could be a game if there was one that I would call it. And I hate doing this because if I'm wrong, then everybody's let down. But if there was going to be a game where Eddie Jackson might just come through with a pick six, this could be it. Because those short out route throws that commonly come from mesh concepts, those are very easy to take back the other way. If your safety gets his hands on it.
1: All right. Now, before we switch off the offense, because I want to ask you a couple things about the defense. Right. Let me just ask you one about uh, one Cole Komet. I understand tight ends. Oh, it's no. Jokes <laughs> on his drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand tight ends take a while. Rookie's years, you don't, don't expect much. I don't think it helped that the Bears hyped him up as much as they did in training camp. But Cole Komet has been non-existent. He has as many catches on the year as Bobby Massey. He has less catches on the year than Adam Shaheen. I understand Adam Shaheen's had a few years to quote-unquote develop. If you count the fumble recovery, Massey's touched the ball more, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Massey
2: has two touches. <laughs> Bobby Massey, offensive weapon. He picked yeah. up a first
1: down. <laughs> so, Cole comet. I understand it's four games, and it sounds ridiculous to say this, but are you at all, is your hand hovering over the panic button yet? Of course it is.
2: I mean, well, okay, so <laughs> let let me clarify exactly what's going on here. If Cole Kmet completely busts out and Jalen Johnson is as good as he looks, believe it or not, Ryan Pace did a good job in the second round. Not every second rounder gets like is a starter, and as I understand it, there's like a 25% hit rate in the NFL as far as starting players of the second round. That might be an undersell, but even if we listed at 50, that sounds about right. Roughly one out of two guys out of the second round are going to play well. So is Cole Kmet like the right choice? Maybe not. I, I struggle to know whether to freak out or not because I don't know the development of tight ends as well as I'd love to pretend I might. And it seems complicated, but also Cole Kmet isn't getting a lot of opportunity because the Bears really like what Jimmy Graham can offer. So should I be criticizing Kmet more for not forcing his way onto the field? I can't tell. Like, I really don't know. I just so he's got to be that, able to
1: outplay Demetrius Harris. Well,
2: you say that, but Demetrius Harris is putting together a surprisingly good little season. I understand. He's, he's, I'm not saying
1: <laughs> Harris is a bad player, but you know, that, if Comet was ready to, you know, take that's the steps. catch twenty two, isn't yes. it? Is
2: is it's like? Well, actually, I didn't say Graham and Harris have been bad. They've been more surprising than I expected. But I want Cole Komet to be better. I do too. So I would I would list myself as worried. I'm willing to give him the whole season. One catch in three targets through five games now isn't good. But also, and I've said this for Nick Foles, I've said this for Trubisky, I'll say it for Cole Komet, they lost six weeks of practice. And who knows what difference that that would have made because in an NFL practice, maybe Kmet would have learned a thing or two. I have no idea. Matt Nagy loves his receivers. He likes to integrate like one tight end, sometimes two. Depending on the package, so I hope that Kmet can uh, can contribute more. He is drawing coverage away on a lot of his routes. So, for instance, that teardrop ball you saw off play action in the first quarter to Allen Robinson, the 24-yard gain on the sidelines—that was Cole Komet drawing the coverage away. That doesn't take—it doesn't take a brilliant player to draw coverage. He's just running a route. But at some point, you gotta hope that Kmet can be more productive than this. But. We'll see. So far, he doesn't look quite Shaheen-like out there on the field, but his numbers are very similar. And I, I'm not going to argue with numbers. We just have to stay patient, I guess.
1: And, and, and I'll, I'll admit, I haven't focused on Cole Komet's run blocking at all, but I did see, I think it was Jonathan Wood on Twitter um, it might, or in the Bears blog. I don't remember if it was in an article or a tweet. But he showed some running numbers when Komet was on the field versus not. And they're bad. And, and they're bad when Komet's on the field. <laughs> so, again, I'm not saying Colt Komet's bringing down the entire offense, but there's, there's, there's alarms going off in multiple places. And, and I think Nagy knows that. Because, again, when Nagy a couple of weeks ago said Colt Komet needs to be on the field more, and a response to a lot of Bears fans are, well, then put him on the field more. That's not what Matt Nagy was saying. Matt Nagy was saying Colt Komet needs to be better. And that was the way he said it.
2: I feel like there are a lot of these moments. This is just a sidebar where reporters will ask a coach an unanswerable question. So they'll say like, Tell me about Cole Kmet. I mean, he seems like he's underperforming, right? And what's the coach supposed to say? Yeah, we're not exactly super excited with what he's doing out there on the field. And uh, frankly, we were hoping for a little bit more. I blame Ryan for this. So, uh, you know, I wanted, And then he fills in his. What are you expecting as far as an answer? Like, of course, he's going to say, yeah, our second round pick needs to be on the field for more than 15 snaps a game. But then he goes into the next game. He would like to win. And he's going to play the best guys that he think are there for the job. His job is to develop players, but it's mostly to win football games. I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like the sound bites that can come out of stuff like this get really weird. It's, it's like when people ask him, like, hey, Matt, you just called 72% pass plays in a game that you won. Don't you think we should run the ball a little more? Uh, I don't know. Seems like it works. Like, at least in that game in particular, sure, we need to get the run game going. But have you seen Tampa Bay? Like, I'm not running against them. I'm not insane. You get the idea. It's a lot of times I do feel like we can take these sound bites and sound the alarm. Oh, man. And I don't know if it's always worth it.
1: All right. Let, let's switch over to the defense here. and, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on the defense because, look, the defense has been good. And everyone's the first to admit the defense has been good. it's averaging 20, giving up 20 points a game. You'd like to see a little more, more flash, but now we're starting to see that. And my theme on this defense and, – and John Mullen, when I had him on a few weeks ago, he agreed, and, and Kroot, Kroot's not as much. But there's been a swagger missing from this defense to me. And 2018, it was there. 2019, it wasn't. The first few games of 2020, it wasn't. And what I mean is, yeah, they're, they're keeping teams down, but we're not seeing – them really just attack on the other side of the football we're not seeing the pass rush we're not seeing the turnovers the big plays we're not seeing that it started popping a little bit against Tampa and I've been sitting here for a year and a half going why is the swagger going why is the swagger gone?" and to me I kind of figured it out against Tampa the swagger is Khalil Mack and it's not to say that Khalil Mack has been bad he hasn't I understand he's not getting gaudy sack numbers but the pressures are there. They're game planning around them. They're avoiding them when they get, we, we still see the impact he has, but when he's not getting home, like he finally did against Tampa, when he's not just a wrecking ball, just destroying an entire offensive game plan, the, the swagger isn't there from the other 10 guys. When Mac is playing at that level and getting home, the amount of confidence that the other 10 guys, he rallies that entire defense and that defense takes on an entire different dynamic.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And I'll even point you back to another play. One of the coolest things I've seen on a football field in a while. So when Kyle Fuller stepped in on Keyshawn Vaughn and laid that, thunderous old school hit that dislodged the ball i don't know if you caught this he looked down saw that it was a fumble and just skipped away from the play literally just walked off because he was like i know what i did somebody else can pick up that ball i have nothing to do with this it was real it was totally full of swagger and then what happened They called it an incomplete pass. If you take a look at this Bears defense, I get the impression they've been trying to get started. Eddie Jackson took back a pick six, called back by penalty. Khalil Mack forces a fumble, called back by penalty. Akeem Hicks gets a sack. Called back by penalty. The Bears have basically been told this whole season that every time they do something cool, it's either penalizable or it didn't happen. And almost, part of me thinks, even going further, Kyle Fuller's hit opened the door for Khalil Max Sachs to really energize the defense. Because from the moment Kyle Fuller laid that hit on uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, the Buccaneers scored six points for the rest of the game. Like, the, the Bears offense lit up, of course. They put another touchdown on the board. But that's when Khalil Max sacks all came. I think he all came in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a terror. He was just, just, I mean, how, how much cooler does it get than beating Tristan Wirfs, one of the best young tackles in the game instantly and hip tossing him after the play. It was, (laughs) it was dominance from Mac. And like you're saying in a game where Tampa Bay and the bears were talking a lot of smack to each other all game long, the defense stood up to the challenge. They made it clear they weren't going to take any of that. And there at the end of the game, it was them who had the opportunity to finish it. And they did with, of all people, uh, Houston Carson knocking down the final pass to give the Bears the win.
1: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And I, I will say, and I don't know what Khalil Mack said, but at, when Mack sacked Brady and, <laughs> and, and was yapping in his ear and Brady just turns his head with this eye roll, I don't know what Mack said, but it got under Brady's skin and I loved it oh, so yeah. much. And, and again, that's, that's just kind of like that, that's, that swagger and everything. And maybe they have confidence in Nick Foles that they didn't have in Trubisky. I don't know. You know, I've ta- been, had. A, I've know. been I've been had the pleasure to be able to talk to guys like Akeem Hicks, who say positive things about Mitch Trubisky. It was a couple of years ago. It was after 2018, not 2019. But I haven't heard the defense bash Trubisky. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what's going through their heads. But I do think since Chuck Pagano has been here, that this defense has not pinned their ears back and just gone after the quarterback and gone after the football. And I'm hoping I'm seeing now that maybe with Foles under center, the defense feels like they can do that.
2: This is where, when I want to get really hopeful, I always turn back on the defensive snaps from 2019's Week 1 game against Aaron Rodgers, where, if you remember, they sacked him so many times. They had him slamming the ball into the turf. He was so mad he couldn't get more than 10 points against the Bears' defense. Then Week 2, Kyle Fuller picks off that play at the end zone uh, to beat Vic Fangio's Denver Broncos. Week 3, the defense was the show as they destroyed Case Keenum and basically stole his soul. And then week four, they stole Kirk Cousins' soul while what they were at it. I mean, this defense for the first four weeks of the season last year was amazing. They were aggressive. They didn't take any side comment. They came after everything, and then it stopped, and then it all dried up, and it, and it almost seemed as if they swapped from what they were doing to Ben, don't break defense. So my hope is, is that over this next couple weeks, that this Bears defense can, believe it or not, stop caring about giving up points and just become a defense that will give some up, but they will take some too. So if they can get two, three turnovers at the cost of the occasional big play, I'll be honest, Bill, I don't really care. Because if you can set your offense up with short fields and that offense can cash in, for instance, they got one fumble recovery and they put it into the end zone twice. Jimmy Graham dropped the first one and then he caught the second one. Uh, that's that's a complimentary football team. That's an, that's a defense and an offensive plan that you can live around. Because I don't think Eddie Jackson and Khalil Mack were brought here to play Ben don't break, cover two. I think they were brought here to go after the other team. Same with Robert Quinn. And yeah. all they need is an office Absolutely. that gives them the chance to do that.
1: Absolutely. So let, let's wrap up with the Carolina game here because it's, look, it's beautiful thing to be four and one because now you can go into this Carolina game mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be must win. If they mm-hmm. did lose that Tampa game and they fell to three and two, then you sit there all oh, Carolina, they go to three and three with some tough games coming up. Oh yeah. You start getting, getting a little nervous, a little tight. So this isn't a must win, but I'll say it from this. If they win and get to five and one, where 10 wins basically virtually gives you a a guaranteed playoff spot with that extra extra spot this year, five and five the rest of the way when you've got games like Jacksonville and Detroit and Minnesota should be at least splittable. Maggie's never lost to him. I don't know why that's going to change now the way they've played so far. I know they look a little better, but they're still losing football games. There's winnable games on there once you get through Tennessee, New Orleans, Green Bay twice. So... If they can win this game, they put themselves in a position to almost certainly make the playoffs, even though oh, yeah. there's 10 games left to go, as long as, you know, God forbid in a pandemic, you know, they can, we, we're seeing positives everywhere. If the Bears can stay, stay healthy, that, that they should be able to make the playoffs. So where are you with this Carolina game in terms of importance? And what do you think are the keys to get a victory? Because for me, I'd like to see Nick Foles have a lot of time to throw Mm -hmm. there's plenty of ways to look at the keys of this game. Let me see Nick Foles back in the pocket where he doesn't have to worry about getting hit. That's very, very manageable in this game with a poor pass rush. Brian Burns banged up, may or may not play. Probably won't, if I I had to guess. Nick Foles should have time. And I want to see what Matt Nagy's offense can do when Nick Foles can sit, read, potentially go through his progressions, whatever he needs to do. What we couldn't see with Trubisky, I want to see what we can do with Foles.
2: Uh, Absolutely. So this Carolina game, it's funny, we stole a win against Tampa Bay that I did not see coming. And as soon as it did, like you're talking about a must win Carolina game became a it'd be really, really nice to win that Carolina game. And the way that I put it is so I remember my mom used to tell me when I was in school, right, that if I did poorly on my first units test, I had to make it up on the back end. And the back end was often harder. That's where the units got tougher. You don't want to blow that first test. But that options open. It's tougher, but it's there. A lot of Bears fans have booked a loss for the trip to Los Angeles against the Rams and hosting the Saints. Well, there's still football games. So if you lose this one to Carolina, win one of those two. It's tougher, but it's an option. And it's certainly one that I'll wait to broadside the team, if you will, until we actually lose against all three teams, because I wouldn't be surprised if this Bears team could finagle a win against one of them. Certainly, Jared Goff has nightmares of Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears. But anyways, back to Carolina. I think that, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, I want to see Nick Foles have time in the pocket, but it's not going to matter if they don't figure out how to beat this defense. I, I mean that unironically. It's a new style of defense. It's very experimental at the college level called the tight front, I think. it's It's got a bunch of names, uh, depending on who you ask, but I think that the Bears' offense needs to figure out a game plan that's going to work against this thing, and if they can, they can execute. Nick Foles, to put it into a, a a different image is less of a good pickup football player and a better NFL football player where he can read the established defense, see all 11 men and know where to go with the ball in a very organized setting. And he's not, and so if you give him time in the pocket, he'll make a play, but he needs to know what he's looking at and where he's looking to go with the football. I think he can because this Tampa Bay defense they just played plays a five down front more often than not. And that in and of itself is really weird. And the bears were obviously able to attack it pretty well. So if they can schematically figure out what to do, and like you're saying, Alex bars and the rest of the bears offensive line can give him enough time, whatever that means, then yeah, I think the bears offense can succeed. Another thing I'll throw in there and just to agree with everybody else in Chicago, that's thinking it, I want to see the bears running game, do anything like something, show some life. This is the team to do it against. And I would love to see Nick Foles not get hit eight times a game. And one great way to do that is to run the ball a little more. I don't need 50-50 balance. I don't need more run game than pass game. I'm comfortable with what they're doing. But I would like to see the run game contribute just like you see it do in Kansas city where the occasional handoff goes for eight, 10 yards. And I think the bears run game should be able to take advantage of those holes. Very similar to what they did against Atlanta, but Hey, I have to see it to believe it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, with those tougher games with the Rams and the saints and, and offenses like that, when you have a defense like the bears, you can steal one especially if the Bears' defense has a little more confidence in the offense and, like we said, can get after the quarterback and make plays. You can steal one where you sit there and and see a 26-24 victory and go – how did that happen? But that's all right. right, because as long as you get the
2: W. <laughs> exactly. It's just like what would happen against the Buccaneers, right? I didn't expect to win that game, but the defense showed up when they needed to, and the Bears suddenly were sitting there down, what was it, 19 to 17, and I thought the same thing you did. Oh, my gosh, they could win this football game. Lo and behold, they put the plays on the field they need to, which is different by the – oh, you know, I keep saying that. It felt different to me watching the way Nick Foles operated, read the defense, and distributed the football. Sometimes... I could never shake the feeling – I'm going to admit this on air and I'll live with the consequences. I could never shake the feeling that sometimes it felt like Trubisky would get lucky every time he did something at the end of the game and it worked, whereas Nick Foles, it really did feel like it went according to plan. He had three downs to make a play. He made a play on the third down both times. That's like his whole life story, making a play on third down. And so the Bears were able to win because of it. I'm excited to see this game. It's more Bears football. It's more time in this new offense. It's more – Evaluation for all of us. And who knows? At the end of this season, I just want a clear answer on what to think about Matt Nagy. Right now, things are looking up, but that's what the next 11 football games are for. And all they need is six wins in those 11 games.
1: Absolutely. There he is at Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter. Check him out. Obviously, if you're not following him, do so, but check him out. He made an amazing Khalil Mac video earlier this week. You guys got to check that one out. It's fun. It's awesome. And if you know you love Mac like the rest of us, it, it'll, you know, you get the goosebumps. So Robert, thanks so much for jumping on. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bill. All right. There he is. Robert Schmitz of Windy City Gridiron. Robert is, Robert's awesome. I love talking to Robert. He's got just a, a great way he explains the game of football, discusses the way of football, and, and like I said, if you're not following him, he's very engaging, interacts, he's, you know, and he really he breaks down film. Robert is a great follow on Twitter, so if you're not doing it, make sure you check him out, at Robert K. Schmitz, S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. So, here we go. Big game coming up against Carolina. But again, not crucial. They can lose this one and still be okay. That's the beauty of being four and one. But I really like this game as a measuring stick to see where this is. Carolina is a good team. They're three and two. They're learning a new, you know, everything under a new coaching staff here. So they're, they're in potentially getting better as they move forward. They've been hot of late. They got off to a slow start. But look, this Carolina team is definitely... Beatable. So let's see what the Chicago Bears, what see what Matt Nagy can come up with, Chuck Pagano can come up with and scheme against this team. Because like I said, and like Robert said, there there's things about this team. This team is not a great team. This team has flaws, but they're still pretty good. So it's a good measuring stick to see where Matt Nagy and Nick Foles are, where the offensive line is after, you know, look criticism with how they did in certain ways against Tampa and certainly how they did against Indianapolis but where is this offensive line against some defensive lines that aren't um, you know elite this Chicago Bears team is a good team the question is how good are they are they 8 and 8 9 and 7 and just pretty good or are they 10 and 6 11 and 5 12 and 4 who knows like I said Olin Krutz and I brought this up a couple of times. Olin Krutz said that he kind of felt this team had a 13-3, 2001 Chicago Bears vibe. You're not saying that he this team was getting to 13-3, but that team where things just go right, where the ball bounces their way. Mike Brown with the interceptions, the Hail Mary to Shane Matthews to James Allen, all all those type of things where it just went right for that, for that Dick Jaron team. It's going right for this Matt Nagy team. And maybe... Luck is a little bit on their side this year. It'd be be nice to have because it doesn't seem like Chicago franchises in general have much luck. So I'd like to see where this Bears team is. If you want a prediction, I'll give you a prediction. I do think the Bears are going to win. I just, I'm feeling good about this team right now after the Tampa win. And I think, yeah, I'm not expecting a blowout. I know Carolina's favorite in this game. I still think that Vegas and, and the experts aren't quite believing in this Chicago Bears team but I do think this offense is going to improve. And I think the defense is going to improve because I think the defense has more confidence in the offense, and that goes a long way. So we'll see what happens, but I'll give you a Bears. Let's go 23-17. 23-17, Chicago Bears victory. We'll see if I'm right next week. Bear down, everybody. Talk to you soon. Adios.